Uh, today we're going to be looking at how Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility in our lives and brings us peace. This is not going to be anything new for us, all right? We're going to walk through some very familiar territory, but uh, I think there will be some fresh outcomes to it. So uh, my reader is coming up. Come on, Emily. Hi. <laughs> Um, Yes, I was asked to do this this morning, so taking some initiative, here we go. It's Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thanks, Sam. Very good job. All right. So let's do a, a quick review where we've been in Ephesians so far because it's always good to just go down and to remind ourselves what God has already covered. Um, in chapter 1, the big emphasis is we are in Christ. Okay? Right now, as you sit there, we are in Christ. It is the identity. It is your identity. It is the most important thing about you. Far and above anything else is who you are in Christ. And you don't want to belabor that, but just that is so significant. That's what Satan tries to rob. That's what he tries to blind. That's what he tries to get you to forget. As McKenna said, he tries to derail you. And you can see the tension with that. We know that. So he, Christ, now is seated at the right hand of the Father. As we are sitting here this morning, that is a present reality. Okay? It may not be real for us, but it's very, very real for him. He is the reality seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, Paul says he prays that we would have our eyes of our heart enlightened, that we would have wisdom and revelation. And here's the thing I think is important about that. Uh, you have to know what's going on in heaven if you're going to know how to act here on earth. Right? You have to know what's going on in heaven so you know how to act here on earth. If you don't think about heaven, if that doesn't come into your radar screen, you kind of just, like McKenna said, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. Right? Looks tantalizing. Sin tantalizes, looks good for a season. But we all know it produces death. And so it's really easy to get derailed in the faith. And so Paul says, set your mind on things above. Keep your eyes on that. Then you'll know how to act down here. And, um, and then even maybe just as significant that we would know the hope that we are called to. Uh, one of the things I see going out the window in our culture is hope. Okay? And as a result of hope going out of the culture, uh, anxiety now is the number one pressing uh, medical condition 
uh, that if you talk to doctors, firefighters, police, anxiety is through the roof. Okay? And a lot of you may be saying, well, gee, I, I don't really experience that. That's because you're in Christ and you are walking around with hope. And, and so God protects us from that. Boy, you know, just the Lord does great stuff. And sometimes we, f- we forget about that. So if we jump to Ephesians 2 then very quickly, uh, Paul is kind of taking an all approach, right, and saying, okay, we all once walked in the spirit of this world. We followed the wrong leader. Obviously, that would not be Jesus, right? That's Satan. And he says this, we are by nature hostile to God. The, the actual phrase there is children of wrath. And we're going to look at this, this word hostility is going to pop up. If you saw it when M read it, it came up twice. It says we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins and our trespasses, and so we had no way out, but we've been made alive in Christ. In other words, when you come to Jesus, as, and we know this, right? We were brought from death into life, and it doesn't matter if that was your kid and you came to know him, or if you were an adult and you came to know him, Everything's the same, yet everything's different, right? And that's what Paul was talking about. We've been made alive in Christ. And because of his great mercy and kindness, God is incredibly kind. He's a good dad. Lean towards him, not lean away. It says, by grace we've been saved through faith. And then it says this, we are his workmanship, right? In other words, God wants to do a work with us, through us, in us. That's why we gather as a church. Right? And so God is at work. We are his workmanship. And so we're going to look at something today that really hampers God's ability to use us, to, to be his workmanship. So um, in the second part here of chapter 2, Paul's going to emphasize this unity and oneness of the body, as you saw. So let's pray this morning, and then we'll, we'll take a look at it. Father, thank you for a chance to just cover for James. Give great grace to his family. I think of his sister Michelle as well, talking to her yesterday and just getting caught up. And Lord, very tough, very tough. And uh, so much of it is all the dreams that went out the window with it. Lord, we lift them up for great grace and compassion right now. We also seek you for us as a body. Lord, uh, one of the best things you ever do is remind us of things we already know. And this is going to be one of those things this morning. So remind us well. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So Paul begins, and he's talking. So in Ephesians here, you'll get this sense. He's talking to the Gentiles in the church, right? So there's two groups of people. There's the Gentile believers, and then there's the Jewish believers. And he starts out, he's talking to the Gentile believers. And a little background would be helpful at this point for why he uses this word hostility. So there was enormous tension between Jew and Gentile. We don't have that today. We can't relate to that today. Um, But there was centuries, thousands of years of tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, And really, if you think about it, it was an issue over legitimacy. Who's legitimate? You see this in John chapter 8, where Jesus and the Pharisees are arguing, and they were arguing over what? Legitimacy. The Pharisees were saying, well, we're children of Abraham. Jesus says, well, I'm from my father. And, uh, and they said, hey, we know we weren't born of sexual immorality. Basically, they were saying, hey, Jesus, we know you weren't legitimate. You know the story about your mom. And so there was this banter back and forth over who was legitimate. 
But, if, but this plays out in a, in a way often we don't think about it uh, when it comes to the beginning of the church. So uh, if we go to the book of Acts, uh, if you think about the opening stories in the book of Acts, they're all Jewish. So for example, the apostles, all Jewish, right? We, we, we think of them as Christian believers. They're all Jewish, right? Pentecost, when Pentecost happened, all Jewish, right? Well, the first blip on the screen that something's a little different is Philip, the evangelist when he goes to Samaria. But Samaria's right next to Jerusalem and Judea, and there's believers there and stuff, so uh, okay, something, you know, maybe he was lent by God to go talk to some people over there. The second blip is the Ethiopian eunuch, right? That story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and he baptizes him. But, but the Ethiopian eunuch was also in a Jewish context because he was coming to Jerusalem to worship at the temple and then go back. So still it's not quite different. The first really major breakthrough from a Gentile perspective was Cornelius. Remember the story of Cornelius and his family where uh, Peter sees a vision where a sheet's lowered down and the Lord says, come and eat. And, and the, Peter says to the Lord, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And... Um, the Lord says, what God has called clean, don't call unclean. Then the men show up at the gate. And so he goes with them. They go to Cornelius' house. And as uh, people are praying, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And Cornelius and his entire family become converted. And they're shocked. Even Peter's shocked. They're like, we didn't know this could happen. <laughs> this is crazy. What's going on here? This breaks all the rules. And as a matter of fact, Peter got in trouble for it. He had to report back. And then John and them had to say, and James, the leader of the church, said, well, it looks like God has given the gift of salvation to the Gentiles. Now we read that and go, well, duh, right? But for them, it was like, you have got to be kidding me. God cares, loves about the Gentiles? Like, that's, Cornelius' story is 20 years later. So for the first 20 years, the entire story of the New Testament is in a Jewish context. We forget that. It isn't until 20 years later that Peter goes to Cornelius' house. So, so the first 20 years, all the believers were Jewish. And then you have this um, amazing thing that is happening. And the natural thought in the Jewish mind is that if one was to go through uh, Jesus and be saved... He had to become Jewish to access, access that salvation. That's why circumcision was so big in their mind because it was the sign from God that Abraham was in covenant with God. So if Abraham was in covenant, if it was good enough for Abraham, it's good enough for them. If they're going to become believers in Jesus and Jesus was Jewish, they should get circumcised too. The thought that Gentiles would not have to be circumcised was heretical. They did not know what to do with that. And you can find that all over. You just read it. It burps up everywhere. Right? Uh, because they're thinking, is this, after all, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. Remember, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple eight days and same thing. So he had come to restore God's people from their mindset. He'd come to restore God's people and God's kingdom. And that meant in a Jewish context through uh, Jewish people. Uh, Cornelius and his family really messed that whole equation up. Now there were Gentiles coming to a saving faith apart from the law and apart from being Jewish. Cornelius was a Roman. 
And, and so to the Jews, the Gentiles were a, a bunch of interlopers who were kind of crashing the party, right? That nobody invited them to, utterly devoid of any sense of what was proper, right? A good proper British thing, right? They, these were renegades. They crashed, what? They're not following the rules. And to the Gentiles, the Jews were a bunch of stuck-up religious freaks who were all law, all due, no heart and, or freedom or love of the Savior. Just tied to rules. And so there was this enormous clash that the early apostles had to try and negotiate uh, in the beginning of the church. The Gentile believers often didn't get along with or like the Jewish believers, and the Jewish believers didn't get along with or like the Gentile believers. Okay? There was what we would call this dividing wall of hostility. Okay? And this can even be seen in the temple itself. Here's a picture of the temple courts. And you see there, if you look at that diagram, you've got the court of women, gals, you got outside there. And then you see the holies, right? And then there's the holies of holies. But see that wall around, so there's a bigger parameter. We couldn't get it on the picture, but outside that outer wall was another wall, and that was called the court of the Gentiles. And where all those gates are, there was a sign on those gates that said, if you are a Gentile and you enter past that wall, you take your life into your own hands. In other words, we are not responsible for killing you because you don't belong here. And so there was a very real, clear message sent. Uh, not welcome. Okay? And even the Jews felt this. Gals, you felt it because you couldn't go into the holies. And in the, even the Jews felt it because there was the holies, then the holy of holies. And only the high priest once a year went in and could make offerings and sacrifices and then come out. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil that was over between the holy and the holy of holies was torn into, ripped apart. It was said that curtain is so strong that two teams of horses could not pull it apart. That thing was ripped in two, and it opened the way. It was symbolic of what God was doing uh, for everyone. It was opening the way, opening the Holy of Holies. We have the right to come to Jesus himself. You ever thought of the privilege of prayer? That you can actually sit down and go to the heaven and say, Father in heaven. Wow, it's an amazing thing. This is, what, this is the tension they were trying to navigate, and this is the tension that Paul... Uh, is trying to, to talk to with the Ephesians church because they were having this in bucketfuls right now. So Paul is addressing this dividing wall of hostility. So what he's saying is that God ended the hostility this way, right, vertically, that he, he became our peace. So now that this is reconciled this way, Paul's argument is let's reconcile this way, horizontally, right, because they're connected. And so... The door in the path was made open to both Jew and Gentile, and they were going to have to deal with it. So Paul's, Paul's uh, talking about this, and he starts on the Gentile side of the equation. So that had to be where the problem was. All right? And, uh, and so here's what he says. Look at what he says. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. You know what the two most compelling words in that whole passage are? Therefore, remember. Remember what it was like to be on the outside. The therefore is to remind them of the incredible grace and mercy that had been lavished on them as Gentiles that we covered in chapter 1. They were called uncircumcised. This is a term of derision. It literally meant those of the foreskins. Right? It stood for those who were without covenant and who, or were outside of covenant. We would say those who don't belong. Paul's saying, remember when you were on the outside and how it felt? Do you remember what it felt like to be separated from Christ, that you didn't belong? Do you remember what it felt like to be an alien? Do you remember what it felt like to have no hope? Do you remember what it felt like to be without God in the world? Do you remember the world when you could have anything and do anything you wanted, but you didn't have God? I really appreciated McKenna articulating that this morning. What is Paul calling for here? Something very simple. Humility. He's asking the Gentile believers kind of to get off their high horse and stop being judgmental and stop attacking and stop being hostile. Apparently, most of the rancor was coming from the Gentile side of the Ephesian church, and thus this is Paul who's addressing. Now, in the midst of this, then, he switches tactics. And he says, this, what? But now. Right? Big transition piece. This, 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 but now. But now what? In other words, it's a new game. Okay? Things are different. Things have changed. But now it can be done differently because of what Christ has done. What does it say? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. that true? Anybody relate to that? Amen, amen, amen. I can. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, like I said, anybody here this morning can relate to being far off. Right? Far away. You who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. We sang that this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? This incredible place and moment where Paul points towards the cross. And he says, go back to the cross. Go back to what happened there. It was there where his blood was shed, that our sins were forgiven and covered. And so then, as Paul elaborates then in Colossians, what does he say? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, in shedding his blood for our sins, there now is now Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But what? In Christ is all and in all. Okay? In other words, everybody's equal. Both groups are brought together in peace by his shed blood. This is the whole argument. Be at peace. He accepts both of you. The word here is propitiation. Propitiation means covering. Think of the Northwest umbrella. Right? Rains, we pull out umbrellas. Okay? Well, we don't in the Northwest because we think that's stupid. But in other parts of the world, they pull out umbrellas. Right? Covering. Right? His blood now is our covering. 
and the effect is powerful. It produces two things that we long for. One is unity, which is really important, and the other one is peace. Now, how did he accomplish this? It says he accomplished this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance. In other words, this is the Old Testament law. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby what? Really strong term here, killing the hostility. In other words, putting it to death. It's done. It's not alive anymore. It's not alive in God's eyes. It's dead. So it should be dead for them as well. One new man in place of two. This is deep stuff, right? Um, Expositor's Bible Commentary quotes John Chrysostom. I don't know if you know who John Chrysostom is, but he was one of the early church fathers in Constantinople. He was called the Golden Tongue Order. He was an amazing guy. If you ever read any of his sermons, it's incredible. And uh, he was way back in the day. But he uses this quote. He says, it's not as if, Chrysostom says this, it's not as if Jesus was raising up one group, the Gentiles, to the level of the other group, the Jews. He wasn't taking the poor, you know, Gentiles and raising them up equal to Jews. He says he was doing something far greater. One new man. It's as if he takes a statue of silver and a statue of lead and he throws them into the fire and out comes a statue of gold. So therefore, now both are in Christ. Okay? Both are lifted up. Both are created in something new that they never were before. The hostilities, therefore, have to end. Because we now, both groups, find our peace in him. He, Jesus, is our peace. Now stop for a second and think about this. These are not mere words. This is a, a very powerful reality. Who would have understood this? Who, who, would have, who would have really saw that picture well? I want to suggest to you it was Paul himself. A Jewish zealot made an apostle to the Gentiles by Jesus himself. Think about the corkscrew turns he went through emotionally, trying to come to grips with that. By the way, did you notice how the term hostile or hostility is used? Paul in verse 3 calls us, previous to knowing Christ, children of wrath, i.e. hostile to God this way. In verse 14 he says that in his flesh Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. That's between Gentile and Jew. Here in verse 16, he, Jesus, reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Why that language? That's right. That's in, that's kind of that's extreme language, obviously. It's rather intense, and actually, for us hearing it, if we're sitting this morning, it's rather uncomfortable because we're sitting and going, "Well, I'm not hostile. I'm, you know, ooh, that man. Why? Why using that? Why would Paul use that kind of imagery? Well, what if I told you it was autobiographical?" It's Paul looking back through the lens of his conversion and realizing the depth of his hostility towards God and towards others. Where am I pulling this from? Look with me in Acts 9. After they martyr Stephen, a a purge, a persecution breaks out. 
And it says this about Paul, who at this time is Saul. And it says, And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he might be found, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wasn't just escorting them. How did they come? Bound, chained, dragged them. He wanted to kill them. Paul was hostile towards those who claimed the name of Jesus. The actual phrase used, breathing threats and murder, right? Coming out of his spirit, coming out of his gut. He was on a scorched earth campaign to wipe out this new movement. That's pretty hostile. How did the Lord himself describe Paul's attitude? Look, when Paul's giving his testimony in Acts 26, he says this, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, so the impact's pretty stunning, right? Paul gets literally knocked off his horse. I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, well, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. What was God saying? Paul. You're hostile to me and my people. It's hard to kick against the goats. Now, we don't, a goat is simply, if you grow up in a farming thing, it's very simple. A goat is a long, pointy stick. Usually the tip was metal, and you used it to poke along cows that didn't want to cooperate. Right? When it became milking time, you just kind of prodded them along, and if they kicked against the goat, it created pain for them. Right? And so Jesus uses this farming term in St. Paul. It's hard to kick against the goats. What's his point? You are being really stubborn here. If we were to put this into Steve Mitchell's English, it would sound like this. Paul, you're acting like a stubborn old cow, and the harder you kick, the more it's going to hurt. So stop being hostile. Likewise, having learned this personally, Paul is now applying the situation to the Ephesian church and saying, church, stop feuding. Knock it off. Quit. Stop the one-upmanship. Stop the hostilities. Why? Because Paul realized. He, he took one look at his life and he realized how toxic he was. And he realized how toxic that was to the church. And that if it wasn't abandoned, it would kill the church. Okay. okay. So good for Paul. Glad he learned that lesson. He had to. And good for the Ephesian church. Glad they got it figured out and learned that lesson. But what about us? What about us this morning? We don't have hostilities, do we? Of course, we just had the elections, but God couldn't possibly be implying that Democrats and Republicans should get along and drop the hostilities, does he? How about closer to home? That's, that, that's one's out there and we can throw darts at it, right? But how about a little closer to home? How about hostilities? Let me, let me pick some places where hostility can grow. How about in our marriages? Some of the worst wars aren't in the Ukraine. They're in the people sitting next to us. Hostility ever? You ever see hostility take over a marriage? How about married versus singles? The haves versus the have-nots in a church. You ever see any battles over that? How about uh, parents versus children? Knock it off, Matt. (laughs) 
Right? How about Calvinist versus Arminian? Right? Any of you go on YouTube and watch the rancor between the two groups? How about rich versus poor? Right? There, there's all kinds of categories that kick up hostilities. Uh, how about when you think about uh, any of us have people that used to be our best friends that are no longer our best friends anymore? Never in your wildest imaginations did you ever think you'd be walking through life without them. But some hostility came up. Some division crept in. Right? The, the, the list is endless. It goes on. In other words, we are as prone to this as they are. That's what I'm trying to say. In little ways and big ways, just like they were, the list is endless, and Paul is begging us to understand what Jesus has done and who he is. Now, here's the thing, guys. I know us. I know we know this. Okay? I'm talking to the choir here. I'm not talking to rookies. Most of us know this. We've walked a long time. I'm talking to people who Jesus has said this to before. And guess what? He's saying it to us again. Right? It's reminder time. Therefore, remember. Remember, Norfew. That's what he's saying. That he is our peace. How is this done? Well, we have to be at peace with or come to peace with those that he is at peace with. And that only happens by forgiveness and letting go. Uh, I ran into this wonderful path. Reading through the, I, I read through the Bible again. I got my glasses back. I read, I made it through. And, uh, and now, I, so I didn't know what to do. So I decided to see if I could read through the New Testament by the first of the year. So I'm in Luke already. But I came across this passage in Mark. And it was, while I was preparing for this, it was just one of those drop from heaven kind of verses, right? It says this, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. We, like the Ephesians Christians, tend to forget the great debt that was forgiven us in Christ. And when we forget, we get cranky, we get angry, we get hostile. We become, you know, Matthew 18, that parable of the two servants, you know this. Remember the guy who owed the 10,000 talents and he was going to get thrown him and his wife and kids in jail? And he came and begged and said, please, please have mercy. Please, please I will do everything I can to pay back. And, and it says that the master felt compassion for him and he forgave him the entire debt. And then he went out and that servant found a guy who owed him 100 bucks. And he thrashed him up against the wall and said, pay it back. And the guy did the same thing. God, I said, please, I'm sorry. I, please forgive me. I'll pay it back. The guy said, no, you get thrown into jail till every penny's paid back. And the people reported to the master what had happened. And the master came back and said, you wicked slave. I forgave you that and you couldn't forgive the hundred bucks. That's how it feels emotionally to God when he's forgiven us our great debt of sin and then we hold it against others for the hundred bucks that they owe us. Now, here's the thing. 
the hundred bucks may not feel like a hundred bucks, right? It might feel like a million. But it doesn't matter compared to what Jesus has forgiven. It's small in the sight of what it costs Jesus to go to the cross. So God's saying, hey, you get the proportions right? You got it? Okay, so that's why um, lack of forgiveness leads to anger and bitterness. Yes? Right? Us older in the room? And that's why so much of Paul's exhortation throughout his writings was to get rid of anger. To, um, he knew anger was the fuel for hostilities. He had seen the evidence in his own life and thus all his, look at his admonitions here. Look at Colossians 3, just quickly up on the screen. It says, but now you must put them all away. Look at this list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Notice they're all sins of the tongue, sins of the heart. Obscene talk from your mouth. Ephesians 4 will come upon this. James will teach about it later. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's talking about here where we actually grieve him. By whom you were sealed. There's that word again. Sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Look at James. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to... Anger. What are we usually? Quick to anger, fast to speak, slow to hear, both to other people and God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 30. For the pressing of milk produces curds, the pressing of the nose produces his blood, and the pressing of anger produces strife, hostility. So, let's do this this morning. Let's stand. Okay, would you stand with me? Practical application point. Very active. I'm asking you to engage right now. As you can well imagine, in going through this message, I had to walk through the mental library of my life. Ha, <laughs> it was a fun week. And uh, release some things. I had to forgive some people. I had to forgive people I'd already forgiven and forgive them again. Right? Because it was still a hook there. I needed to let the Lord wash and rinse out some hostilities in my heart by His Holy Spirit. I doubt that I am an exception to this. I don't think I'm the only one in the room. So let's do this, friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus people. Jesus, who is our peace, has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. It says He has killed the hostilities. He tells us that since it has been reconciled this way, it needs to be reconciled this way. The Bible says, as far as it is possible for you to be at peace, be at peace. Now, it isn't always possible to be at peace, but it can be let go of in your heart. The picture I always use is this, right? Are you going through life with a clenched fist? If you are, you need to open that up. Now, sometimes God has to peel it finger by finger by finger, by finger, to get it open. But would you let him start peeling the first finger and say yes? Nate Lashway gave a marvelous devotional when we were down in Albuquerque, New Mexico on the screen, and he said his journey of how he wound up as a missionary in Africa was by saying yes to Jesus in a thousand different ways. Right? And so the question this morning is, who needs to say yes again? 
Who needs to say yes again? And who needs to forgive? It says this. Here's the admonition from the Holy Spirit. Whenever you stand praying, we are standing praying right now. This is worship, okay? Don't confuse it. This is worship. Whenever you stand praying, what? Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So let's ask the very practical question, who do you need to forgive this morning? So would you close your eyes? Get away from the person next to you and all that. This is not about them. This is about you. Okay? Are there any hostilities? We can really help Jesus out this morning in a very beautiful, practical way of forgiving. Who do you need to forgive this morning? I'm going to give you a minute or so of silence. Not going to be any band playing, not any of that stuff. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit go through the card file of your heart and mind just like he did mine. Go through maybe long, long ago. Maybe really recent. You'll know. The prick will be there. You'll know who it is. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, stay in a spirit of prayer. Some may be struggling, saying there's so many, I don't know where to start. Start with the most obvious one. Start at the most obvious one. Ask God to give you the ability to let it go. Release, forgive. This would be a great joy to your Father's heart. He will bless that. He will smile on that. And the hostilities will end. And maybe it's with God himself. Let it go. If you need to keep praying, keep praying. 
while you're standing, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses.